Hey guys and girls, welcome to Podshots episode 16. In this episode, we'll be talking to Tom James. Tom is an internet marketing and advertising expert from the UK. We've known each other for a while now, and as well as being a truly nice guy, he's also really good at traveling. He goes from country to country for a living while working online and has narrowed down his digital nomad approach to a T. All of this on episode 16 and more. Enjoy. He and I decided to come up with this really, really bad idea of drinking loads of alcohol while we... I've ever heard, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, what what did you manage to get? Uh, I got this. Right. It actually looks like cognac, if I'll be honest with you. It looks like, yeah. So it's called Matthias and... The guy I bought it from, he has like his alcohol shop in, you know, next to Market Market. And yeah. uh, he's, he's super helpful. And he said, this used to be the world's most popular rosé. And then now it's not, but it's still quite popular. So I Whoa. said, so I said, would other people around the world be able to get it? And he was like, oh yeah, for sure, easy. Because I tried to get the, um, the Yellowtail rosé, but they only yeah. had Yellowtail pink Moscato, which is like rosé, but not the same. And then um, mm-hmm. I was asking everywhere and they all said they sold out. So clearly it's a popular drink. Uh, okay. Sold out of that yellowtail. So this was my only choice really. Uh, so I yeah. might have seen that around, but I don't recognize it off like just by seeing the bottle, but I, it, it looks like a pretty legit one. I got this yellowtail. I, I know that I've shown you both of this, but we, neither of you were able to get it in time. This is just a typical kind of high street supermarket, um, Australian yellowtail brand. Wait, I noticed yeah, you started it already. You drank some already, Clement. Yeah, no, I have. I've, I've opened it. I've, I literally opened it just before you arrived. Okay. I was like, fuck this. I'm going to drink some now. <laughs> I'm going to start to get the night going. What have you um, um, well, unfortunately, I saw in Clement this. It's a dry week in Columbia. Um, so, unfortunately, I couldn't get a rosé today. Just found that out today. So, I'm sipping what we're going to call a vino blanco. It's really just tequila, <laughs> but we're going to pretend. <laughs> Amazing. So, so he's probably going to get drunk uh, faster than most of the rest of us here. Um, That's okay. Guys, I can't even open the bottle. Holy shit. Was well, like a cork in it or something. There we go. There we go. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's six is it a screw on or is it corked? That's a screw on. It's screwed up, yeah. Just takes a lot of that strength. Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of dry weekends, I was just telling Brandon that it also happens in the Philippines. Whenever there's an election... Uh, the they generally in the Philippines stop selling alcohol. Really, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? No, I guess I've never been here with, during elections. But oh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, we had a two two and a half months or maybe three months of no alcohol sales in the area I was in because mm. because of the lockdown and they didn't want people spending their. Um, spending their pesos from the government on alcohol. So it was completely banned. So we were we ended up buying like um, the cheap, cheap shitty whiskey and stuff off the black market. Um, it was like double or triple the price of normal. On the black market. Yeah, that's one of the black market. It's basically shops that had stock, but 
weren't able uh, weren't allowed to sell it so they were selling it like they weren't advertising it, but you could get it, you know, pay a bit extra and you could get it kind of thing. So, so sounds yeah. like the prohibition all over again. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? I can't believe it could happen for so long. I thought it'd be temporary, but yeah, for months. And then all the alcohol delivery services were like, yeah, we can deliver anywhere in Manila, but not in Paranaque, which is the district I was in. And I was like, what the hell? Why is this district treated different to the other ones? Um, anyway, we're all good now. You're allowed to buy alcohol, so I'm happy again. <laughs> Dude, I'm really, uh, I'm really interested to know what it's been like, because you've talked about living in throughout the lockdown. By the way, it's called a lockdown in the Philippines, right? Is it called the quarantine as well, or? I mean, officially, it's called the it's called quarantine. There's different levels of quarantine. Uh, I think lockdown. It, so I remember the government was really scared to use the word lockdown in March when it kind of started because they don't want people thinking, oh shit, we're going to be like locked down in our houses like China because people here are like panic, right? They, they, especially over yeah. certain words you use, they're going to be like, ah. And then basically they were like, they basically said that if it's general community quarantine, it's not lockdown. If it's enhanced community quarantine, it is technically lockdown, right? But it depends on who you are as to what you can go and do. Like during enhanced, I wasn't able to have a quarantine pass because they only give out two per house and we had too many people in our house. And so basically it was like a, an insane lockdown for me. I can't step one foot out of the door for two and a half months, I think 67 days uh, without the police or army sending me back inside again, which is insane. Obviously I stand out because I'm white, so they always jump on me and you know tell me to get back inside um, in fact the only reason it stopped after 67 days is because we left the city illegally for like um a relative my girlfriend's relative's funeral but it would have lasted for longer than that but now we're in general community quarantine so you're not really allowed to leave manila but you can travel around manila and like go to restaurants and supermarkets and stuff so technically it's not really a lockdown but like depending on who you are it kind of is for us that like to travel it's a insane lockdown because we can't leave the city but for people who just normally live stay in manila you can't really call it a lockdown anymore because they can still go to the shops and go to their work maybe and stuff like that so how do they mediate the lockdown like here in colombia for example they will have like certain days with numbers and depending on like the last number of your id you're allowed to go out and actually do things unless you have like explicit permission from the city to work um, for some other means um but like is it similar there like do they have a system like that or is it kind of just um, based so on need basically they would just they just went around all the houses and gave you these quarantine passes depending on i think how big the house was you got one or two per household like if I think you're in a condo with two people, they just give you one pass or something. And then when you go to the shops or you're out and about, they will check your quarantine pass. And if they're suspicious, they will also ID check you to make sure your ID matches the quarantine pass. Uh, I think there was a bit of a black market for selling quarantine passes also. Um, but <laughs> there is a system to check and make sure that it's a legit one. But um but, but that was it. Um, there, were, there wasn't any coding, if you like. But what happened in Cebu, which is the second biggest city in the Philippines, because it got really bad there. I'm not sure why, but what people were saying was that people from Cebu are really hard-headed. 
So they, they don't want to follow the rules as much. They want to just be like, oh, we're going to be fine. That's like their attitude in general. So the cases were going up quite high there. I think it's still definitely much higher in Manila, but the point is in Cebu, there's way less healthcare. So the hospital beds are running out more fast. And um, so what they did was they said, uh, yeah, only a certain like ID number, or I think it might be quarantine pass ID number. So on certain days, if you're even, you can go out on certain days. If you're odd, you can go out on the other days, right? But the problem was they did the same with the coding of the cars. So if you, en- if you ended up with an even number quarantine pass and an odd number car registration plate, then that means on the day you're allowed out, you can't go to a car, right? You have to have matching even, even or odd, odd. And this sounds like a joke, right? We're laughing, right? That's actually what they did. And it still might be like that. I'm not sure because it started like a week or two ago, but it's, I can't believe they just did it. They were like, okay, well, this is it. So if you're an old person that really needs a car to get to the shops and you're just unlucky for no reason other than being unlucky, then that's it. You, you can't take your car. So it's I'm not sure like the streets are going to be, crowd, but it's still not a good system. And they were, they were enforcing that still. They weren't letting people use their cars, even if they were allowed to go out on that day. Uh, in Cebu, definitely. They were really cracking down on it. God, that is but here, crazy. they didn't do the same thing. In fact, in Manila, they got rid of coding because in mm. Manila, they have coding for cars. So every single car, no matter who you are, there's a certain day of the week you can't drive it on. So you might have Monday yep. off or Friday off. And that's to reduce the traffic. Not that it really does much. But, um, but now, since coronavirus, I was saying to my girlfriend earlier, it's made the city bearable. Like we went, we crossed the whole city in like 20 minutes today. Normally that you would have to prepare at least an hour and a half plus extra time for actually getting a taxi. Now it's unbelievable. Yeah, I can't believe how far you can travel in such little time here. It, yeah. it makes me so angry because then I think about, I don't want to return, I don't want it to return to how it was before. But because people are only really traveling for uh, work and uh, a little bit for shopping and stuff. But I think most people here, the locals are very scared of moving about. They really don't want to. They really want to stay inside. Even if they're allowed to move, and go and visit friends they don't want to they'd rather just stay in their home and so yeah the traffic is just like nearly non-existent these days which is the yeah, only effect like, <laughs> yeah. it's really nice about the whole thing is you know the cities are a lot quieter so if you live in like a metropolitan area or a place where it's busy you can kind of like enjoy it a little bit more I mean, streets aren't busy malls aren't busy um, we have yeah. the same issue too with the cars. It's called Pico y Placa and Pico y Cedula. Um, so yeah, we have the same issue where even if it's a day you can go out, it might not be a day you can drive either. So it's, it's a really screwed up system oh, really? in some ways. God. Is that to, is that to minimize traffic or just to minimize mm-hmm. people outside? It's to minimize traffic. The Pico y Cedula is for, um, uh, the quarantine and the Pico y Placa is for traffic. Um, and they enforce both during quarantine. So it's just, it's not helpful. Like if you can go out one day, but you can't drive during that day or a certain time during that day. Um, it makes it no sense difficult. that they wouldn't force to though. I mean, it's already decongested just because of the, the lockdown. So I don't see why they would want to <laughs> do that. <laughs> yeah, no, but that, this whole thing's being mismanaged though. I mean, from the very beginning. Although looking back, it would be easy to say, oh God, you did that wrong, you did that wrong. But I think in the heat of the moment for for most people, it would have been a really hard call to make for a lot of the things like, especially whether or not to lock the country down. Um, 
So I yeah, kind of that's, that's why, like, um, if you look at countries that you would argue have done it well, like Taiwan and, and um, South Korea, they had these massive pan, pan, pandemic teams because they got so badly affected by SARS and maybe MERS also, but I think it was just mainly SARS in those countries. They, years ago, they were like, oh my God, we can't have this happening again. So they, ha- they already had like these insane plans for contract contact tracing whereas philippines didn't like still when we go to restaurants here we're like fill in these pieces of paper but they don't enforce anything like mm-hmm. yeah. like like my handwriting is bad enough they'd never be able to read it if, if yeah. i went into a restaurant that uh, someone had coronavirus and they were trying to contact me i'm sure half the forms would you know there wouldn't be enough information to actually get in touch with you no one no one knows how to write anymore <laughs> Yeah, we we got like, um, exactly. Uh, some of them have online to be fair, like you can fill it on your phone, but most of them is writing. Um, and like we had a coronavirus case in our building, um, which is the first one here, um, like five days ago now. And it took them four days to contact us and tell us that we went into the elevator straight after this guy. Not at the same time, but straight after. Um, oh, shit. It took us. It took them four days to say that, where it, mm. which is insane. You you would think that they would do it like way faster, right? Because yeah. But um. But these are clearly behind. Whereas in South Korea, they had an app where people can just go on it and check like places not to go to. And if you yeah. go where you where some where there's been a high level of cases or you come into contact with someone, then it will tell you. Oh, by the way, you should get yourself checked because you have been next to someone like that. But the, the whole point is they were prepared because they got affected in the past. So now I think most countries will be prepared in the future if something like this happens again. Uh, you would hope, right? But yeah. you never know. So It's well, really hard to track this stuff, though. Like, they're trying really hard here, but it's like, you know, when you, there's a dormancy period for like two weeks um, and it's a virus that can stick around for, you know, almost up to an entire week afterwards just sitting around on a surface. Um, you know, it's really hard to like get an idea of who, who has it and like how it's moving around. Yeah. Um, like at the malls and everything, or when I go, uh, to our office, Clement, or if I go anywhere else, even the liquor store, um, they'll spray my shoes they'll take my temperature with a thermal uh, thermometer. They'll, um, make me write down my name, my phone number, my email, my passport number, um, to get an idea of where you go throughout an entire day. It's a little pervasive, but I mean, it's like, what else can they do? It's like really hard to track that. It's like, they can't just like microchip you. So yeah. Doesn't Google already do that though? I mean, I guess Apple, Google, Facebook, they kind of do that already. They could have helped somehow. I don't know. Fuck. They trace everything, don't they? Well, that's because in some countries you have to use an app and you have to grant certain permissions and stuff like that. Um, Like I think South Korea was one of the biggest users of an app. And I think that, that, and people are like happy with that because Mm. that's just the general, you know, people trust the government there. So where in countries where people trust the government more, there's like way more compliance. But in a lot of developed countries, like, um, yeah, (laughs) even people that voted for the party that's in control in many countries don't really, a lot of them still don't trust the government. They just voted Mm -hmm. for that because it was the best option, but they still don't really trust the government. So trying to implement something like that in the UK, which they, they were kind of murmurs of that in the UK, right? There was was an expensive app. 
and they had yeah. built it. It took them a long time, and then when they finished, no one's really using it. So it's well, just a. I don't get it. Like, so it's it's not compulsory, obviously, but like, so what's the point of it? Exactly. What's the point of it? And since I think really the the issue, you could probably already tell it wasn't going to be, you know. Uh, abided by or followed because people didn't even want to wear their masks. I mean, we don't even wear masks here. You know, we're, we're, no one wears masks here. N nobody. No, almost no one. I think about like maybe two percent of people are wearing masks right now. Maybe three. Here, it's like in like the US too. Yeah. If you want to go anywhere here in the Philippines, you need to wear a mask. But again, I'm living in the upmarket area, BGC. So obviously but they won't let you anywhere you can't go in any building without a mask and i don't know what happens because i haven't seen it because literally 100 percent of people wear masks but if you walk down the street and you're not wearing a mask probably you're going to get told to get a mask or something i'm not quite sure what they do right but yeah everyone's wearing a mask here however i ventured out into like kind of a, a poor area the other day because i had to get my scooter tire fixed and um uh, kids running around, old people walking around, uh, loads of yeah, adults walking around, like not a mask in sight. Not even, it's not like they had one and they weren't wearing it. It's like there's nothing in sight that completely nothing. So I was thinking, damn, like, um, if you get one case there, for sure everyone's gonna get it. Like, there's no, well, not for sure everyone, but you know, such a big chance that it can spread super fast in some, in some area like that. And there's no testing. If you want to test, it costs 2,000 pesos. So you know, even people with a good amount of money don't really want to spend 2,000 pesos for a test. So yeah, the, the, the chance that the cases are much higher here is like, I think really, really likely. Um, because like they tested a construction site the other day, 300 people tested positive. Um, they tested the, one of the train lines, MRT3. Again, oh, just over 300 positive people who were all like the people working in the in the trains and on the stations and stuff. So it's like, damn, if all the people that like got forced to get tested have it, and think about all the passengers and people that went on the train and everything like that. Because they're not getting forced to get tested, right? They just went past all these people that were positive. So I feel like there's tons of cases that are on on uh, untested at the moment. So uh, if, yeah. if you want to avoid this uh, disease, anyone that's uh, listening, North Korea apparently has no cases. So I'm you gonna, know, well, it's also hard to get into North Korea. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And and the ones, the scientists that did, or the doctors that did find cases are now all uh, dead. So they've been corrected and uh, oh, all, all adjusted. <laughs> Speaking of which, do you have been to North Korea, either of you? I know that we're, we're starting to segue into talking about what, you know, the topic of this discussion, which is digital nomad lifestyle. But I'm curious if it's in North Korea or Korea in general. North. I've been to South Korea and I've looked over in North Korea, but I've never actually flew into North Korea. I know someone who I've, I really want to go to South Korea really, really badly. Um, but I've never been to North Korea. Um, you should be worried if I've been to North Korea. I'd be afraid just to look into North Korea too. Like I don't, I don't want to see what they're doing. Yeah. I, I, it's always been a goal of mine to go to like, um, North Korea cause I kind of like weird and yeah, you know, wacky places even though I don't really want to go there and support the regime because technically being a tourist there, I'm supporting the regime there, but still I want to kind of see for myself 
However, I believe now, um, if I've been to North Korea, that severely limits my ability to go to America in the future. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. Which, again, I don't have the biggest desire to visit America that much, but I definitely will now and again when I go to the US because they have, they, yeah, there's serious problems with, if you've been to North Korea in the past, there's serious problems with getting into America after that. Um, yeah, it's not just there too, but they, they're just terrified of people coming in that might be influenced by a regime. America's always kind of been like that. Um, it, does, it can be North Korea or Syria or Iran. You'll get screens but to death. Sure, and Disney want to make problems, eh? Getting back in. <laughs> what do you say, Colin? Pretty sure Dennis Rodman didn't have that many problems getting back in. Well, yeah, After that's a good point. I'll, just so wrong, wrong. I'll become a celebrity first then, and then it'll be fine. <laughs> that's a good point, yeah. But yeah, what's the weird... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it was always like a goal of mine. I think I set the goal in 2017 to be in North Korea. And, and then I, I, there's all these different packages you can choose. And I remember seeing a nice 27-day one where you tour and you climb like the highest mountain and you visit all these different cities and stuff like that. It was like the, the ultimate package kind of thing, but you know, no internet access, right? For 27 days. So it doesn't really work with my career having no internet access at the moment. So uh, for me, that's always been a big thing. Like I can't really go to a place like that where I can't access the internet because I can oh, not be away from the internet for more than yeah. two or three days from my work. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Cool. You're, you're not going to be able to, you know, see anything really I, my friend who went there he told me that the time he went was the the like a military parade which happens like every i don't know how many years it's not often though so it was an, an interesting event to witness and um the uh well there's a couple of things really that are interesting about north korea that i heard i was so so a chauffeur will take you everywhere you're not allowed to go anywhere by yourself you got to be, uh, you know, monitored at, at all times. So there's kind of like a plain clothes soldier that kind of drives you around. And uh, my friend is is kind of Chinese, uh, Chinese American, and he kind of made a like a friendship with this dude over the time they spent together. And he had paid for internet access, and it's really expensive. He paid like five hundred dollars for about, I don't know, less than a gigabyte or a gigabyte, which is a crazy amount of money. I would think we all agree. Uh, and 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 he, while they were kind of just chilling, he 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 threw up uh, YouTube and started playing a, a South Korean K-pop video. And the guy had never seen this kind of stuff. He'd never seen YouTube. Oh he'd never actually even really. He I think he remember. I remember him telling me that he actually didn't really know what the internet was. And uh, he was like, dude, this is, this is how, this is what life is like is outside of North Korea. And he was like, oh, I'm so happy I'm in North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> it clearly didn't like K-pop then. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I was like, oh my God, that guy just like flipped the switch because I was expecting he would go, you know, kind of expecting he would, he would feel somewhat missing out. But in actual fact, after seeing all the, the craziness that that's, that is the internet, he was probably just relieved. Uh, and it kind yeah. of says a lot about our lifestyle, but. I bet yeah. it's super easy to go viral in North Korea though. Like if we took pod shots, North Korea, Clemens, and we just did an episode there, not like only viral, would we go like viral, two viewers oh there, God, but North Korea is so closed <laughs> off. I think we do very well. <laughs> Yeah, man, we could totally go viral. We would probably only last like a week though. 
and then we'd be relegated to the dungeons of the Pyongyang Palace. Yeah. Uh, as long as we didn't say anything bad, I think we'd be okay. <clears throat> yeah, I don't want to give it a shot, man. I'm, I'm quite happy not to know whether that works out or not for us. Um, but, but, but Tom, what, tell, tell everyone who's listening what exactly it is that you do, because I'm pretty sure they, they don't really know yet. Yes. So, mm. um, yeah, so basically I run a digital marketing agency. Um, we, we focus on running advertising, uh, advertisements for companies. So pretty much any digital advertising, whether that's on your social media, like Facebook and Instagram or YouTube, or if it's search advertising on Google or just display advertising around the web. Um, so we run that for companies and then, we do various other services in relation to marketing, depending on what the company needs. And yeah, we work with a lot of niches, um, a lot of e-commerce, um, local service businesses, although less of that during coronavirus because half of them can't off- operate. Um, yeah, software companies, um, uh, real estate, all sorts of different kind of niches. So we basically help companies grow through managing their advertising for them, helping them get more reach, more customers, more sales. So that's what I do. Cool, cool. I mean, we, we've worked together a couple of times just as a disclaimer, yeah. not that I need to disclaim anything, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, I met you in the Philippines uh, when, when I was living in Manila. And it, it's really, I think it's really the internet that allowed us to actually meet there because we wouldn't have met otherwise, I think. I mean, would you agree? Like, is that, is that what allows you to do what you do, which is basically traveling? If, if no one knew what it was that you did, they would think you were a, a travel blogger, actually. <laughs> That's so true here because, yeah. Uh, because, yeah, Filipinos especially, but also other people I've met in Asia, they will always ask that because um, sometimes the simplest thing to say to people is, I work online. Like, I don't want to say digital marketing or advertising or agency and Mm -hmm. stuff to people who may not know about that type of industry or whatever. So the simplest thing to say is like, oh, I work online, especially because half the time people are, you know, they'll they'll say to me, if I'm in in the Philippines, they'll be like, oh, why are you here? And then I'll say, oh, usually I just say my girlfriend, if it's in the Philippines, because my girlfriend's Filipino. But then they'll be like, okay, so you work here also? And then I'll just say, no, I work online. And then straight away, they kind of think, ah, oh, you do like vlogging on YouTube or something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They always think that. And then yeah, there's yeah. a lot of vloggers in the Philippines. Actually, there well, is. I think it's a very like if yeah if you're a, if you're a foreigner, I think, uh, and, and you have no idea what you want to do for a career. I was saying this to some people here. I was like, um, if you have white skin and you're a guy. I think you can come to the Philippines, start traveling around the Philippines and learn a little bit of Tagalog, the local language. And then you'll just go viral on YouTube because that's what they all do. All these guys, they, they, they just try and like get a little bit into the Filipino culture. And then millions of Filipino, I assume mainly girls, but maybe also guys are like, wow, foreigner, he lives in the Philippines and he speaks our language. And then, yeah, 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of views on their videos. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good strategy, but this, I, it doesn't really interest me like um, vlogging or anything like that. Um, yeah. It's a lot of fucking effort though, isn't it? To learn another language, you know, it's especially Tagalog, it's not like Spanish. I mean, Brandon and I, <laughs> we are renting an office in Colombia and it's obviously a Spanish speaking country and Brandon, you're not really you're not fluent but you're learning no, quick. i mean i'm on duolingo every day and i'm trying but like <laughs> i just i haven't put in the effort to really try and learn it i don't know i'm not that interested in spanish and it's weird because i like living in latin america it's a terrible combo right there yeah <laughs> but yeah. vlog would do really good here i've thought about that a couple of times you know gringo in medellin doing a, a vlog speaking maybe a little bit of Spanish, they'd probably go viral at some point too. just yeah. work. You know, you got to document your entire life, everything you do, everywhere you're going. Yeah. A lot of production, but I guess, that goes into it. I think both the things we're talking about is linked because uh, like, if you want to learn a language, you really, most of the time you really need to want to learn the language. Um, exactly. I've always thought it's great to know different languages. Right. But I'm the worst person in the world at learning languages. I did five years of French, know nothing. I did two years of Spanish, I know nothing. I can't, I can't learn for, for my life because I, I guess I'm just an age, lazy English guy who is just too used to English being so understood everywhere, right? Um, and then it's the same method, Athena, and I'm going to tell her not to speak English with you <laughs> until you know how to communicate <laughs> in Tagalog, man. That's, that's <laughs> the problem because yeah. I, I want to learn Tagalog sometimes, right? So I say to her, oh, what's the, what's the Tagalog for this word? And she's like, oh, we just say the English, you know? They, yeah, those, they don't want to, they don't want to teach you either, man. <laughs> yeah. Even very Tagalog people here will speak a lot of English words. Only when you go like, really into the provinces, they speak no English. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's just easier. Like a lot, most people that speak Tagalog do not know the classic Tagalog word for a lot of phrases because they just got so used to learning the English. Um, and maybe they know the word, but they still say we would prefer to say the English word. So, um, so yeah. But then, yeah, also linking language learning to vlogging. It's like I probably could manage to go viral quite easily using the strategy I talked about. I don't mean super viral. I just mean, you know, have a couple of videos that did quite well because I've seen so many people do it. But the thing is, I'm not the type of person that really wants to do that. So even though I could probably force myself to create a couple of videos and maybe do well, it's like, I think to do that, you need to love being on video, making videos, thinking of the next video idea. Whereas for me, that's not what I want to do. So, um, again, I think these things you'll be successful with if you really want to do it, if you're really interested, otherwise you're not going to keep it up. Do yeah. you think a production has a lot to do with it or is it just content, just being continuous and consistent with it? I think content because, um, I guess it depends because you've got people like um, Sam Calder. I don't know if you know him. He he, he shoots beautiful travel videos and he'll Sounds just familiar. publish like one, one, uh, once every one or two months, some cool drone shots, uh, amazing, yeah, B-roll of traveling, whatever. And there's not always the biggest story behind it. And if there is a story behind it, it's more like some uh conceptual stuff he's narrating in the background whereas a lot of these yeah vloggers especially in the philippines they're just talking about like oh we're going to go to this awesome waterfall and actually they don't have to post a drone photo a video 
they have to video it well, but it doesn't have to be that good. People are following them and watching every video of theirs, partly because of the content, but also just because of their personality and like the way they present something as opposed to just having this amazingly edited video or this amazing, um, amazingly shot footage and stuff like that. Um, so I think there's probably a balance, but if you don't have like the personality, then people aren't going to continue to follow you. Um, mm. So I think that's one of the key things. Oh my God, man. I totally hear what you're saying. And I can, I can relate to that. Not because I have no personality, although, you know, I mean, be feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, wrong, it, yeah. all right. Okay. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> See you later guys. So, uh, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's, you could have the best possible production and you could be regular and like just pop out so much stuff and be hitting all the buttons and everything. But at the end of the day, if no one wants to freaking listen to you, or if you're just really boring, I mean, you're going to have a lot of trouble getting traction. You probably get a few viewers and a few subscri subscribers more than you would if you weren't. And I'm just speaking from, from my own opinion about this, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I remember you saying something uh, to me a while ago when, when we were working on a project together and you said, as long as the audio is like, great, then you're okay, more or less, because that's the most important thing. And I never thought about it that way. And, and when, you, when you mentioned it, I was like, oh shit, he's, he's right. I can hardly stand listening to something that's just sounding awful, but I can yeah. bear watching something that's like at 360p, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like this conversation now. I'm not sure how good my microphone is. I'm sure I think your microphone is really nice, Clement. Um, but the point is our audio is clear to listen to, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, no one cares about the curtains behind you. I'm sorry to say, right? doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, I went a bit overboard. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a little bit more about, like, the story you're telling in the entertainment as opposed to, you know, having amazing production. Unless the reason people follow you you is for the amazing production but years ago i used to save these videos that were like it would be called like one week in thailand or one week in colombia or whatever and it's like this three minute montage of amazing shots right but oh my god trying to watch a three minute video of just shots is so unbelievably hard because it's just a montage with some music and it's just like, Oh my God, what, you know, what, what's happening. But if someone is explaining, Oh, look at this waterfall. It was so dope. And you get to swim in it. And this is the name of it. And this is how you get there and all that stuff. Then that's super cool. You're like, wow, I can imagine myself actually going there. Whereas like mm -hmm. loads of pointless, amazing B roll of some, of some location or something. It's not that, um, it's it, it's really not that uh, uh, useful or engaging if you know what i mean yeah. there's no real story yeah. behind it or whatever like that yeah um even if the footage is impressive yeah when you have production and video i mean when you want someone to watch something that requires like gaining a lot of their attention people don't really put all their attention into watching video as much as they do um, in the past. I mean, everything's about audio nowadays. Um, I think the attention span of a human is comparable to a goldfish, if I remember that correctly. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to like really capture someone's attention, like whatever you're putting out there that's visual has to be like pretty, pretty grabbing. Um, well, actually, it's a good point. Like um, I've been having this thing recently and I'm not sure if other people have it or whatever, but I've been noticing over the past um, three to four months, probably due to quarantine, but I've had more chance to um, watch some more Netflix than normal, spend some more time watching YouTube videos and stuff like that. 
mm-hmm. and I cannot for my for my life be doing nothing whilst I'm watching. Today we were watching a movie, me and my girlfriend, and yeah. I had to keep doing stuff. I was still watching the movie, and it was a good movie, but I had to I had to keep going on Twitter. I had to keep I had to keep doing stuff. It was insane. I couldn't sit there and watch the movie and just relax, which sounds insane, but maybe it's because when you're in lockdown throughout the day, you're not doing as much. And therefore, you know, you can't relax at the end of the day as much. Maybe if I was busy all day, it would be easier for me to just relax at the end of the day. But I feel like it's not all because of that. There's something in my mind that needs me to be like doing something because watching something is not enough to keep my attention or my satisfaction or something. And I was thinking earlier today that I'm not even sure if that's healthy, that feeling of having to be doing stuff like that. I mean, uh, I, I personally, I feel... I feel the same way. I was also watching Netflix and I don't also watch Netflix a lot, but I was the other day. And um, yeah, I, I noticed myself on my phone and I was like, this never happens. I, I'm usually never using my phone when I'm watching something. And I was like, fuck, I'm becoming one of those people that I hate. <laughs> and well, there, there, there are studies, and I think this has been reported often that during the pandemic or, uh, you know, throughout this whole fucking malarkey of what's been going on, anxiety levels are through the roof. And I don't know what that really does to you other than kind of keep you on the edge, trying to figure out what's going on and being a bit nervous and stuff. So I would imagine, yeah, people's, people are not as focused as they maybe have been, you know, in the past. And plus... Dude, if you're if you're always using devices and that's your job, uh, it's really difficult to draw the line, you know. When mm-hmm. and especially if you're working in time zones with different clients, like you, you have to be. It's almost like you're on call a lot of the time, you know. Yeah. Um, so so it makes sense. It's uh, but it isn't healthy. I will say that. And you're a neuroscientist, right, uh, Brandon? So you probably probably know more about this than I do. But I don't think it's healthy at all. I'm not a neuroscientist, but I definitely have my degree in neurology. I'll, I'll take that. Um, you know, what's this kind of plays a lot in the social media too. Um, I mean, there's a reason why social media is so addictive. Um, you know, you have 15 second Instagram stories, 15 second TikTok videos for a reason. I mean, you can't hold someone's attention much longer than that nowadays because there's so much stimulus all around you, especially off of your phone and computer. Um, so yeah I just, I just i just don't think that video is a really great platform anymore i think it's slowly dying i think um most people prefer audio at least that's just what i'm seeing maybe you guys see something similar yeah i mean there's a massive move to 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 podcasts and audio learning and all sorts of stuff like that actually what i would do so i have never really played games my whole life um when I was younger, I was always riding horses, not, not playing video games. <laughs> and um, I just never had the time to play video games. And uh, But I have this one game. I have one game on my phone. And so what I do when I'm watching, um, I, got, uh, I watch some channels on YouTube, some guys giving advice about like uh, diversification of things like uh, citizenships and residencies, second passports, uh, tax advice, all that kind of stuff. And it's on video and the videos are very well produced, but there's no point in me watching it because watching it doesn't give me anything else. So I, I listen. And even though I love the information, 
I cannot listen unless I'm doing something else, right? So I'm on my phone playing this game, which I really couldn't care less about. And I'm on like level 800, literally level 800 and something. Uh, because I just need to be doing something. Even though I don't enjoy playing the game by itself, I will just play it to keep my hands busy, I guess, whilst I'm listening to this audio that I absolutely care about. And I just can't sit there and listen to the audio. Or maybe I can be washing up or, you know, cooking food or something like that. But, um, yeah, but maybe that's why everyone's shifting. They want to be listening and learning as they're doing other things, like exercising, which I should be doing more of, or or whatever it is, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because then you're multitasking. But um, yeah. it's I think you can only really multitask in, in a certain capacity. Like, I don't think you could – you probably couldn't – you know, recite the alphabet and still take in an, a, a podcast, but, but you, you know, you can, you can certainly do a very, uh, mind, uh, how do you say this, uh, mundane, mundane. stuff yeah. when it comes to your, your attention. And I, I do that all the time. I take a walk with my dog and I throw on like, you know, Sam Harris or, or Joe Rogan or something. And I listen to something, uh, and I can usually take in most of it. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I, th I think when it comes to attention, like you, we really have to be, uh, very careful with how we spend it. And, and I think also paying attention because, uh, paying attention to how we're, how our brain is actually taking in whatever it is that we're doing, because, you know, like, just like me, you've probably, you've probably experienced getting to the end of something and then you fucking can't remember what it was that you just did. And it was like half an hour or something. Mm. It's just one of those things you have to always keep an eye on your brain. But, um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, it's just the way the, the world is now. Speaking of which, what's your routine like? Like, how do you usually, because you, you travel a lot. So you go to these different countries and life's, in it, life's different, cultures are different, infrastructure is different. How do you, how do, you do, do your daily routine? You're, you're making me hate my life now. Telling me, <laughs> telling me that I travel when in reality, that's no longer a thing that can happen That's um well, i mean i guess you guys are more free especially you in in the uk clement but yeah uh but um okay so before coronavirus um wait, what was the question like what's my routine all right I, i'm one of the worst with routines um like having a daily thing because i think i enjoy having every day different right so normally at 6 a.m i open my bottle of wine and start recording a podcast <laughs> <laughs> you see i've never done that before <laughs> but no for, but in terms of um what, what i really love what i'm a fan of is having to-do lists so whether it's personal stuff like I need to go buy something or whatever or i need to do some work or have a meeting or whatever i prefer to have them on to-do lists so that means i don't schedule exact times uh to do something unless it's a call or something that has to be done with another person but I will just have a to-do list and then I'm like, okay, well, I have three hours now. I'm going to zoom through my to-do list and then I will make sure that if I had to have done something by the end of a specific time, I'll make sure that that thing gets ticked off before the end of that time, if that makes sense. So that's what I like to do. So in terms of like working in the morning or evening or middle of the day or middle of the night or whenever, um, I'll just get that stuff done. And I do get satisfaction from ticking off items on to-do lists. And I think... Mm. I think that's some uh, that's just something that people really like to do. I heard about this study where, uh, not study, I think it was a survey where um, 
people said that they would go shopping and say something wasn't on their shopping list, but they bought it still. Like they didn't put lemon on their shopping list, but then they bought a lemon. They would then write lemon on their shopping list just for the satisfaction of ticking it off, right? And yeah. that's what I, I that yeah, I really like that. So um, anyway, yeah, that's what I do. So I mean, I've tried in the past doing schedules and stuff, but it never really works because when you're traveling, uh, your flights are at different times your transport do different areas at different times, hotel check-ins different times. I try to like just get myself into the zone to work and get my stuff done kind of whenever I have free time uh, in whatever like kind of, kind of when I have a free time block, I would just jump into my to-do list and start ticking off items. So that's, that's basically that from it from, that's more from a productivity point of view. Um, yeah, generally it happened. What normally happens is I do some work in the morning when we're traveling. When we used to travel, I would do work in the morning. Then we would around eight or nine a.m. We'd go have breakfast somewhere, spend the daytime when there's light outside doing something fun like beach or hike or whatever. Uh, have dinner and then in the evening do a few more hours before I went to sleep. That's normally how it, how it turns out. Because uh, cause I've been in Asia for the past three years, basically. And the evening time is when my European clients, so 4 p.m. onwards normally is when my European clients are online. And then midnight onwards is when my American clients are online. But so for them, the work is kind of done just before they wake up. And then I send them reports or updates or something in an email just before they wake up. The complication comes when they need a call. So I would do the call something like at their time in the morning, so around midnight here, or early my time in the morning, so around yeah, 6 a.m. or something here. Um, uh, but yeah, not sure if that answered your question, but uh, yeah, schedule-wise, never really had one. I just tried to get stuff done when I have the time kind of thing. Yeah, I'm very similar. Very similar. I, I don't like routines. Uh, I mean, routine means you're doing the same thing consistently every single day. And Einstein said that, you know, doing the same thing over and over again is the definition of insanity. <laughs> so I try to stay out of a routine where I have to do the same thing every day. And I do get like a dopamine rush when I check something off my to-do list. So yeah. I love doing something very similar where you have like a to-do list or like a list of things that need to be accomplished and then trying to check those things off or having a project to work on or something different every week. That's satisfying. That's nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. similar. What about you, Clement? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much similar. And I was going to say, don't, don't you think it's just, you know, the type of person you are? Because I feel, okay, there's a, there are a lot of personal development gurus and teachers out there that will, that actually have planners on sale. That's what they sell. They sell these kind of how to, how to get the most out of your day. They're high performance, just like Brendan Bouchard, for example. I don't know if you guys know him, but anyway, and I have bought these things and subscribed to these things. And some of these things work and some of them don't for me. And I used to beat myself up and say, I'm just not good enough to be doing this right now. But now these days, I really do honestly think it's the type of person you are. Everyone's different. And if you're not the kind of person who wants to be regimented in, I am definitely not that kind of person. I know that now, then it's just not going to work. And you should try not to blame yourself for, for not being able to follow the advice of someone who's potentially very different from you. So just wanted to say that because 
I think there's a lot of people out there who they they don't yet understand this and neither do the people they're listening to. So it's kind of like a it's like a it's like a bad combination, a bad match almost. Yeah, because um there's a lot of like productivity gurus um that I've I've watched on on YouTube. Actually the reason I watch some of them is because they are um they make cool production videos. You know the ones where they show their coffee pouring out of their of their coffee maker in the morning and stuff like that uh it's just nice stuff to watch um and this one guy uh what's his name he's really he's quite big on youtube now um and i've forgotten his name and uh he was saying like even though he gives out all of this advice he's just like talking about what he what works for him this is probably the best video he did, but he was saying in reality, everyone is like completely different. There's probably people out there that if they followed his advice on every single one of his videos, not none of them would work for them because they're just a completely different like person. Some people out there who were like the most effective, uh, they, talk, they talk about being so productive. Exactly. They do the exact same thing every day. Even some people eat from the order, the exact same food every day, all of that stuff. For me as a person, that would literally um, make me, yeah, I don't want to use the word depressed. <laughs> that would make just me sad. That, that, that's horrible for me. Because if a friend says to me, you want to go to this restaurant, you know my first thought? My first thought is, oh, no, I've been there before. Mm. Because I want to do everything. Uh, I want to, every time I do something, I want it to be a different experience, a new experience. The restaurant has to be very, very good for me to go back again because I'd rather not waste my time going back. I'd rather go to a new thing and try the new thing out. Whereas other people, they thrive off that same thing every day, having the same coffee every morning, having the same blah, blah, blah every day. So, yeah. yeah. That's really important that whenever these people are saying advice, it's maybe not the best advice for you, but probably good to try it out. Uh, like I even tried out cold showers before. Um, some people love it. I mean, for me, it makes no difference. I just hate, I just hate having to shower more, but it doesn't make any difference with how my day goes. So, um, so I don't do that anymore. <laughs> now I got to get psyched up to get in a cold shower. That's not pleasant. No, not nice, but there is something about it. Like, I can't do them here because our shower in this building is fricked. Basically, it won't. It doesn't. It's not a good shower. If I was going to try and do a cold shower, I would. I would really. It would be terrible. But it needs to be high powered because it, it's. It's almost like the intensity makes the pain go away. So, like the the weaker the shower is, mm-hmm. and the colder it is, the harder it is. So it's got to be high powered. And uh, there there is something in there. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I I found it very difficult at the beginning, and then. Uh, one one time I just stuck with it and I, I stayed in the shower for about maybe three minutes, four minutes. And when I got out, it was so first of all, it got a lot easier as because as, it was so intense. There was no water that was missing my body. So my body cooled down really quick. And because of that, once it gets to a certain temperature, you're you're not shivering anymore. You're 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 adjusted already. And, uh, and it's not uncomfortable anymore. I know it's, it's that, it's that hump you need to get over. And then on the other side, once you get out the shower, your body gets like a huge ton of endorphins released. And I just started laughing. Like I couldn't stop. It was, it just felt really good. So there's really something to it. Um, uh, So do you still do it? every day or I can't do it here. That's the thing. It's, uh, it's very frustrating. I would definitely do it if it wasn't for the crappy shower, but, um, 
Yeah, it's just like everything else. Like, you know, you need to take it in moderation and uh, not do it like too much because you if your body cools down everyone knows you know it can have adverse effects on your health like you can get you know flu or cold whatever um so sorry about that but yeah i I would i would not i would i would say it's better than a lot of people think and um but also don't do it too much because then at least you know you're not putting yourself in danger i know a lot of people are sick from doing that you know, it does work though, is if you do like a five, 10, five method, like athletes do when they go from like hot to cold, uh, in therapy, like if you, cause your body temperature, temperature, the external temperature on your skin, when you get in the shower, it's not as warm. So when you hit the cold water you feel it immediately. Um, but if you get in, you take a warm shower for like a couple minutes and then you switch it to, to cold water, it feels a lot better and it's not like. Yeah, it's a lot easier. You save hot water too, doing it that way. I'll do it once in a while. They'll go like hot for five minutes then switch to cold for another five minutes and then then hop out of the shower. You, you get the same effect, except it's not like striking. Like when you just jump right into a cold shower because that's just not pleasant. I don't, I don't think you would even even be able to do it, Tom, because uh, sh- the showers in the Philippines are freaking warm. <laughs> even without the, the warm heater, it's really uh, Yeah, warm. that's true. Well... So I was in my girlfriend's house for the last uh, few months. We only moved here to the condo like two weeks ago when they started allowing move-ins again. And her, so they just have like, they don't have hot water. They just have cold water. And just didn't, you just scoop it up and then pour it over you. So if it's in like uh, in the morning at 6 a.m., it is cold. If it's the middle of the day and if it's a hot day, it can be like, like literally so warm. Sometimes it's been so warm that it's just actually too warm to shower in from the natural water coming through the pipes, which is insane. Because <laughs> it's the middle of the day, it's really hot. Um, but for me, I would just, yeah, uh, I just boil the kettle. Every time I'm going to shower, boil the kettle, and then I use that oh, water because nice. it's better for me. Um, but, but I guess the point I was trying to say originally is I can bear the cold water, but I don't see big of a difference in my mm. feelings or my performance or anything compared to something um, much more similar, like literally just going on a walk in the morning. Like, I guess mm. my, my ideal thing is wake up, have a shower, whatever temperature, go on a little walk outside, appreciate the outdoors. And then I'm kind of ready to go, whatever I feel. I feel much more like awake and whatever. I haven't felt the difference that like something like that would uh, kind of give me. So, yeah. Yeah, everything, everyone's different, I guess. Um, you have lived with your girlfriend for... She's Filipino, right? Yes. So you've lived with her for... I know that, I'm just saying it because I need to. Um, <laughs> uh, you've lived with her for like three years, is it? Yeah, we've been, we met... Um, oh my God, it's July, yeah. So yeah, this year is going way too fast without doing anything, but... Um, We've been living together for three years. We met in um, April 2017, but I had to go back to UK, finish my degree, graduate, and then then I came back here in July. And then, yeah, we were together. The only time we've been apart pretty much is for one or two weeks every year when I go back to UK to do Christmas. Um, I mean, hopefully this year, then she can come with or something. We'll see visa-wise and travel-wise, but anyway. So, yeah. 
pretty much the reason why I'm asking is because I, I know that if people are interested in, in, in kind of changing, because, you know, obviously a lot of people losing their jobs at, at record levels. I mean, I don't know how many millions of unemployed there are now around the world or even in just countries like the UK or the United States, but there are so many new job losses. So naturally people are going online to try to figure out how to work from home, how to be doing what you're doing, what I'm doing, what Brandon's doing. And, um, I'm Brandon and I are not in relationships anymore. <laughs> uh, as far as I know, Brandon. Uh, so, so one thing that people might want to know is how, how is it to do this when you're in a relationship? How is it to travel, you know, with your girlfriend non nonstop almost, I would say, right. You were yeah. nonstop travel. Well, before how is that before anyway? Yeah. Um, so, so my plan actually, so I was thinking like, um, when I graduated, I definitely wanted to come back to Asia because, because in my third year of university, it was exchange year. I did a four year course but with a third year exchange in America. So I did like uh, sometime in Boston and sometime in San Francisco. And then after that, I went on like two weeks around Asia went San Francisco to Singapore. And then did, I think five or six countries in Asia and um, never fallen in love with places as much as I did on that trip. Of course, it's easy to fall in love with places when you only spend a couple of days there. Right. Mm. Um, but on reflection, um, I absolutely adore pretty much every Asian country. And, um, so, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go back to Manchester, finish my degree after a year. And then the ideal thing would be to continue doing my marketing work and just travel around, um, Asia, living in different countries as a digital nomad and literally had no plans to get in a relationship whatsoever. I was, uh, happy to be uh, exploring romantically. If, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, in April, before I'd even graduated, I accidentally found a girlfriend. Um, <laughs> and uh, even even after like meeting her and telling her I kind of wanted to date her, I was thinking in my head, oh my God, you're only 20. How old was I then? 22. Uh, yeah, 22. I was thinking that's too young to get into a long-term relationship. Uh, anyway, right. whatever. it had to happen because I fell in love. What? Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so basically since then, since then as being a digital nomad, we've been together. And then, um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's really cool because like, um, I think sharing the experiences you have is like, um, super important. And that doesn't have to be with like a partner. It can also just be with a friend. Right. Mm. But like, um, we watched the movie called, um, Oh, what's it called about the guy that he was trying to find peace or something. And he went to Alaska and he was trying to find happiness in Alaska. And he was living in like super the wilderness. And then essentially he ran out, of, he, he ran out of food. He couldn't kill enough animals. And, uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's a quite famous movie. And then he, he died and he, he wrote in his little diary thing or something. He said, happiness is, only true when shared or something like that some kind of phrase like that and he basically realized that he wanted to escape society and find peace right but he realized that he's basically saying nothing is really fun if you're not sharing it with other people right yeah Mm. that kind of makes sense so that's why like it's been super awesome to be in a relationship when you're traveling you've always got someone to share an experience 
going to a restaurant and stuff. Like imagine going to a restaurant and it's the most amazing food, but you're not really sharing, you're not there with anyone. So, um, you know, uh, th that's a really good part about having like a partner or whatever. So having like someone to share everything with is like super amazing. And we always look back at moments and stuff and enjoy that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, what, what else about being in a relationship and traveling? Um, well, what, what's it like, you know, being a digital nomad and trying to like, you know, stay in a relationship, like what goes into that and making it work? Cause I mean, you're traveling a lot. I mean, quarantine aside, lifestyle is a little bit different. You're not necessarily in like a nine to five type of job. Like mm -hmm. is the dynamic just different? Um, like, I don't really have that experience, so I can't really say for sure, but maybe, maybe you have like an interesting perspective on that. Um, I guess my problem is I've never had the nine to five. I've never had the opposite of what I'm doing. So that's why I don't have the, maybe the opposite um, perspective, but um, it gets really stressful because like, so basically we were living when we were like only staying in a hotel or Airbnb for two to three days. Maximum we would do is seven days. Okay. Maybe sometimes we'd extend that to 10 days, maybe in one place. And then we move on to the next city or town or, or Island or beach or whatever. And that can get like super stressful sometimes because for example, we wake up in the morning, right? This sounds so stupid, but it's, it's, it's like a big part of it. Wake up in the morning, my girlfriend's hungry, right? We don't have any food in the house because we're living in a hotel, right? Or, or an Airbnb, let's say Airbnb, where you can't just easily order food. Um, but I've got to do some work for my clients. And then my girlfriend's really hungry and whatever. I'm in a new, completely new town. And my plan was that after one hour, we're going to go out and start exploring and eat and whatever. But her plan is, no, she's too, she's hungry. She needs to go and do that. There's like, there's, when you're traveling, you can't really have that much independence. We can't, you know, we can't just like leave each other and go and do our own thing, which you can do when you're staying in one place. And that doesn't seem like a big thing, but it is actually quite a big thing. There's, there's, you really have to like stick together and do stuff together like that. So when plans don't match exactly because of your own priorities, then stuff can get like really stressful like that. Um, but also it's so pretty cool to be with two people all the time because there's two heads thinking. So Mm. I think Athena's stopped me a lot of times from getting scammed and taken advantage of by people. <laughs> I, I always trust people way too much. Uh, where she's a bit more skeptical about stuff. So you like you, you know, your qualities match each other for, for those um for those types of things. So yeah. That's good. It sounds like you guys balance each other out a little bit. Yeah, most of the time, not all the time, but yeah. Okay. Well for you to be doing that for three years more or less, let's say more or less. It's, it's, it's really fascinating because I have, I've done that too. As you know, I've been in a relationship when I've been traveling quite often and it just didn't, it was just very hard for me. So, you know, um, I think, yeah, maybe it's a lot to do with the type of person you're with. And then also, like you said, you know, making sure that your plans match and you're not always fighting each other over small things. I think that's why a lot of people break up anyway, is they start fighting over small things, like things that could have just been avoided by communicating in the first place, you know? Um, so that's, that's, that's really interesting. The, the irony is I went traveling with my uh, XX 
let's say XXX. <laughs> I went traveling with her. <laughs> it's not sounding good already. Yeah, I went traveling with her. Um, and as soon as we went traveling, we broke up. Like that, that was that was just brutal for her, probably. I mean, it was brutal for me too, but you know, breaking up with someone after you, you start traveling with them is, uh, it's probably a, it's probably a sign that it wasn't going to work out. <laughs> you were starting a full-time travel at that point, or you were just on a quick holiday? We, we were traveling around Asia, which is when I settled in with the yeah. Philippines and, uh, and we broke up in the Philippines. Okay. And that's when I started to stay there for, for good. Ah, I see. Yeah. Because, um, I think, um, when you're in a relationship, Again, I'm saying I think because I don't know this, but if you're in a relationship and you just like live in the same place for a while and then you go on your like, you go on a one week or two week holiday somewhere, whenever yeah. people do that type of holiday, it's always going to be nice, right? You're, you're probably going to plan things very well, probably going to spend a bit extra money and it's always for a short uh, duration you're always going to have you know you're going to deprioritize your work for that holiday kind of thing it's always going to be like a fairy tale kind of thing right but then longer term travel it's like a much longer commitment it's a reality it's a way of life kind of thing right and i think that is easily the hardest test for a couple well, probably there's, yes. other, there's other tests that are hard, but if, but that's a really good test to see if you can actually, you know, stay together because all of the stresses that come with that, you can't have a much of a comfort zone when you're traveling full time, especially yeah. if you're moving every few days, there's no real comfort zone. You, you know, if you can stay together whilst your flight is delayed for 24 hours and you're stuck in an airport with no food or something, or, you know, all that kind of crap that comes with long-term travel like that and if you can still stay together through all of the the bad things and the stressful things then that's like an amazing test so we passed that test so far anyway but we'll see (laughs) i feel like a lot of women like routine though like i'd be impressed if a woman could do that like consistently and travel and be in different environment and not have like a routine thing to do like i don't know a lot of women that could do that i know a lot of women that want to travel but that, that's got to be tough i mean from a woman's perspective i'm just guessing because I've, I've never done that or had that experience my, well, my girlfriend likes having um i wouldn't say routine I, i'm agreeing with you here but my girlfriend in particular i wouldn't say she sticks by a routine but mm-hmm. she likes having that kind of she likes have, for example, she likes having a condo to come back to some sure. like organization in the room and stuff. Um, but I think I'm actually quite a weird person in the fact that, um, you I really don't care about that stuff. <laughs> I really don't care about that stuff at the moment. Like, um, I'm happy to just end up in some random hotel room, whether it's good or bad or whatever. Um, and just do whatever. Right. But I think I'm a little bit weird like that. Um, but yeah, I would agree. Most girls do want a bit of that comfort zone um routine kind of thing i don't know it's, also structure. it's like structure that they want structure mm. that's a good word yeah yeah unless you meet a crazy one and then you know i'm not crazy in a bad way but there are some crazy free women out there who just want to go and just paint the town red you know it's, it's Wait, really interesting when you find Clement, which, which xxx is this one <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm actually speaking about someone that I I didn't actually have a relationship with, but I knew of her. I'd spoken to her a few times and she'd gone through like Pakistan single 
can you imagine? She was a she's a very attractive Asian woman. All right. It's not like she's just gonna blend in, right? She would stand out like a sore thumb and she traveled through Pakistan single. And I, I asked her, what was that like? Because I wanted to know all the crazy stories, and she really didn't have any because she said it was a blast. Like she mixed with everyone, everyone was really kind, and I think it's just her. You know, like sometimes you invite trouble if you show fear or any kind of, you know, insecurity. She has none of that. So it's a different experience for, 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 oh my God. Yeah. She, she's a strong woman, but, um, but Probably her personality, her vibe yeah. she puts off. Yeah. The vibe, you know, you can, you can easily, you can easily change the way someone perceives what the next step of action is going to be just by smiling or frowning or, you know, like your body language, you know, what you're seeing, how you're moving. It's, it's all linked together. And, um, and especially in, in different countries, like, um, I've noticed that, um, it's better nearly all the time to act like a, a local or, or like a, an expat that knows the country. So like, so we were living in Bali for a few months last year, but I act like I'm a long-term guy. Uh, you know, um, I'll, okay, I'll, dude, okay. how's it I was going to say, I, I would speak uh, Balinese to them, which is not that true. I would say a couple words, but, but like in the Philippines, I would always say a couple Tagalog words to someone because then that lets them know that I'm not the type of guy that should get taken advantage of here. Yes. And then I'll mention something that I live here or something like that. And I think I'm going to employ that in other countries because the minute you kind of act like you know what's going on, then they're probably thinking in the head, okay, well, this dude is clued up. We can't really take advantage of him. And then you're in a much safer position. Whereas yeah. if I'm just walking around like, oh, can you help me find this place? I'm new yeah. here, that kind of thing. That's and that's when you got to get ripped off by the taxi driver or whatever. So, um, yeah. so yeah. Okay, yeah, so, sorry, go ahead, Brennan. No, I was just saying that's true. Go ahead. So, you know, people who are trying to figure out how to get started with all of this, first of all, you're in marketing already, right? So that's what you essentially do every day, marketing and advertising. Um, how do people start getting clients like you? How do they begin this journey of moving away from a nine to five and starting to have their own, you know, sole proprietor business or agency or whatever they want to have in the end? What would you recommend? Um, I guess my, my, my number one thing is um, to, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that show you how to get clients and stuff like that. But what they don't often do, and these are often the guys selling courses and stuff, is they don't like teach you how to service the clients or how to keep the clients happy or how to do the work that's good. They're just telling you how to get clients. Mm. You get that first paycheck for the first month and then you mess it up. Well, I would assume some people mess it up because they're not being taught how to do it. And then they can't like keep the client for long term, right? So first of all, that sucks because you haven't even good, done good service for your client. Second of all, that sucks because they're not a long-term client, right? So the first thing to remember is always like be thinking about how you can actually help the client and make sure you're good at that work to start with before you're able to like make it a thing, if you know what I mean, make it your career or make it something you charge good money for and stuff. And so, so like when I got, so, so the thing is I kind of fell into this because when I was like 14, I made a, I made a website for myself 
um, that just like said my name. It looked so cool. Had my name along the bottom of the website and had like animated fire coming off it. <laughs> this is when people still made websites using Flash. So you could do like cool animations and stuff, even though the website wasn't really that good. Um, and then I did that in like IT class in, in the UK. And um, people started talking at school that I could make websites. In reality, I wasn't coding. I was just using a, a website called Wix.com. Um, but I had a kind of like that, uh, that drive to actually go out and create something um, like that. So then one of my friends, their parent was starting a business. She said, can you make a website for me, like an e-commerce website to sell her stuff? So I made it for her. Um, and then she said, can I pay you? And I was like, oh my God, because like, I never really, yeah. The only money I'd ever received before was just from like, you know, birthday presents and stuff like that. So I was like, oh my God, like people will pay me for this stuff. So then, so I started making websites for other people. And then basically naturally when you make websites for small businesses, it doesn't really matter. They need to get traffic to the website. However good you make the website, it doesn't matter because they need to get people to go to the website and buy stuff. So then I started like researching, like um, I think first about like um, SEO and stuff and then into social media and how to get traffic through social media and then natural through advertising. So paid search and paid social. And then I just got into that. And then I started doing it for the clients that I was already working with. So I was charging like tiny, tiny fees and then getting into it. And then I got used to it. And then, and then that was it. Right. But that was over like quite a, quite a few years. Cause I was still just at, at school and then, and then sixth form and then university. Um, but basically I think when you get into it, you should like try to find, if you're just learning, if you're trying to find like some businesses that are like not doing much, but you could probably help them. Like, so your, your parents' business, your friend's business, your friend's parents' business, your uncle's business, and just say, can I manage some of your money with some ad spend and help you get more traffic or help you get more business and stuff like that. And then, and then you can get used to it. You can like start to, um, uh, start to start to learn it yourself right and start to yeah. get good at it um i keep saying it because just maybe you're doing seo maybe you're doing advertising whatever yeah, there's a lot but yeah there's still marketing in general just to get to to help businesses grow essentially and then as you start to get confident in what you can do yourself you might find a specific niche you like more you can figure out what price is a good price to charge people then you can get into doing it like as a as a thing if you like but I'm, I, I really don't like to see um, uh, people just charging straight away before they've really proven themselves. Many businesses will easily start paying you and assuming you're going to do good work. But I see a lot of people that don't do good work because they never really learn how to do it. So it's definitely right. best to like start working with friends, businesses for free or for a very small fee. Or you can say like... Um, you can say, let's say your friend has a furniture store, right? You can say, okay, well, if I help you sell a sofa, you pay me 25% of your profit or even 50% of your profit. Businesses will be happy to pay like a big chunk of the, of their final profit margin to, to you if you generated the sale for them. Right. So, um, so yeah, you can still get paid without risk without upfront risk for the business you're doing work for. So yeah. that's what I kind of encourage. But then in terms of like how, how, how to actually learn this stuff, um, I'm not really the best guy to advise on that stuff. But what I would say is there's tons on YouTube 
um, tons of free courses, tons of you stuff learn? that if you search on Google, you will find it. So I will always encourage people to try to find the free stuff before looking at the paid courses, because most of the time the paid courses is just repackaged stuff that's already on YouTube. Um, so unless you're rolling in money, um, just start off with the, the free content already out there. There's not many secrets hidden behind courses, if you like. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have any that you recommend, like in terms of education, if you want to learn more about running a marketing campaign um, that you know you find helpful maybe in the past or that you find helpful now? Um, um, so hmm. when you're at like a higher level, there are certain people I would recommend that you follow. Um, I follow people such as, um, uh, so, so someone that's really good is, um, Savannah Sanchez. She has like a, uh, Facebook group that's all about like different advertising creatives. And right now that's the most important thing that you can make good creatives, good videos and good photos that work really well. Um, that's when you're getting maybe a little bit to kind of a higher level, but, um, yeah, I'm not going to go into that, but then, um, yeah, it, it's really hard for me to say because basically a lot of people, ton, there's tons and tons and tons of Facebook ad courses, Google ad courses, YouTube ad courses, all that kind of stuff, as well as videos. But, but from someone that works in a lot of different niches, um, so, so a lot of agencies specialize in one specific niche, right? We do a load of different niches. And what I've seen is everything is like unbelievably different, like crazy different. So if you're just getting into Facebook advertising or Google advertising and you want to have like a little snapshot of how things work, then I'm sure it's great to buy a general course, right? But if you want to actually go and get results for a client, let's say a, um, a restaurant, then that doesn't really make sense to do like a Facebook ads course. What makes sense is to do a restaurant marketing course, right? And I don't really know if any exists. I know there's some one guy that did make a restaurant marketing book. I don't think he made a course. I think he made a book. But that's, that's what's excited me most about potentially doing courses in the future. I don't have plans yet, but I might do, uh, is to do niche-specific things. Because So what I would do is in the restaurant marketing course, right, I'm going to cover everything they should do on Facebook, everything they should do on Instagram, everything they should do on YouTube, YouTube, Google Maps, uh, getting listed in directories, uh, general like um, menu strategy, uh, getting reviews, loyalty programs, everything. Because if I'm a specific business, such as a restaurant, then I don't care about all the other stuff. I only care about what's going to help my specific niche. And then I can go through every single part of that. So that's what's excited me because everyone just has a general Facebook ads course, which work that that means it it's general it doesn't every single part of it doesn't work for every single business and they don't cover anything else involved in that business so i i mean i assume the industry will switch a bit to being more niche focused in the future but if mm. there is anything out there then that's definitely something to kind of look at rather than the more generalized education what niche do you like though or what niche would you like to you know talk about if you did do anything educational um, one of the, what's really cool for me is that, um, a lot, a lot of local businesses, like still brick and mortar businesses, they often don't really have a massive budget to work with 
um, an agency like me. Some do, some don't. And some are just too nervous because it's such a big part of their revenue versus maybe an e-commerce business that might be earning such a small amount of money now, but can easily scale to millions, right? Whereas a restaurant, that's a much more slower process to scale to millions, especially um, considering the small profit margins, right? So so having a product, and also the people that are running local businesses, many of them just really don't know still, they don't know the possibilities that are out there. So that quite excites me to have a product, if I was to make a product, to have one for local businesses, hair salons, restaurants, whatever, who can just uh, buy the course and follow all the different steps, what they should do in Google Maps, what they should do to get listed in directories, what they should do for Instagram advertising, et cetera, et cetera. And then these guys can go through and make an insanely big impact on their own business by themselves by just following a course, right? Um uh, but yeah, but in terms of like um, businesses to actually work with, um, it's normally the more scalable ones, which are more fun for me. So for example, real estate, my real estate clients get a lot of leads and if they convert just one you, it, per month, that's, used, that's normally a widely, a, a highly profitable month for them. So I'm switching to doing a lot of co uh, commission work with them because I'd rather get the commission rather than just a smaller retainer uh, as they scale my, my pay can scale. And then of course, e-commerce, uh, if they're selling a good product, half the time that can, that can scale like crazy, like insane. So yeah, e-commerce is definitely kind of like most exciting niche to work with. Um, as long as they have good profit margins and good product and a good brand. Um, but yeah, in terms of like making making breakthrough impact, I think it's actually really fun to talk to local businesses. Maybe their budget isn't that big, but just opening their eyes to see how much to, to, to show them how much they can actually um, achieve with just a little bit of extra work is 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 really fun. So yeah. Well, we're going to give you seventy two hours to create that course before we publish this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, that's, that's a really great, that's a really great idea. And if anyone could do it, I know that you could do it. So I, I, I personally think that, you know, that would be a great, that would be a great one. Um, uh, and do you think that COVID in this whole quarantine of like affected the future of online marketing? Because obviously now local businesses are kind of in the shit and, you know, they're going to have to move online. And how do you feel like this is all going to impact the work that you do and people like you do like me, for example? Um, so at the start, um, I started thinking, Oh my God, what's going to happen? How many of my clients are going to stick around and stuff like that. And yeah, there's a, there's a couple businesses that were basically, we were going to start working together in around January, February, March kind of time. Um, and for example, one of them, they're way behind, uh, three months behind with their, um, with their shipping of, uh, of products because they got held up in China. Oh my God. Another, another one are indefinitely behind like that, yeah. that factory got shut down and I think there was some issues. So like, so yeah, that was like short-term effects of COVID. Uh, not really with my current clients. Most of my current clients were still able to, um, most of them were still able to keep uh, operating through COVID. And some of them were doing a lot better, which I'll explain in a second. 
but yeah, the, those who were mainly was the ones that I was uh, hoping to start working with soon. We were pretty much like finalizing contracts and then COVID hit and may, uh, mainly the supply chains were affected and that, that ruined things. And it's taken them a long time to, I mean, most of them aren't even anywhere near being back to normal and ready to market again. There's one company that's never advertised or two companies never advertised in their life. They're still making tons of sales and they can't keep up with orders because of how badly their supply chain has been hit. Um, um, yeah, so there's that. But then what I started thinking is, oh, maybe advertising is going to get cheaper because a lot of businesses, they can't operate. They're not going to advertise. Therefore, CPMs drop. CPMs is the amount of money you spend to get a thousand impressions. So a thousand impressions is if I put an ad up there and a thousand people see it or the ad gets viewed a thousand times, then that's how much it costs. Um, and so they dropped dramatically, especially with my clients. So, um, that's great news. And so, yeah, it basically means it's cheaper to reach the same amount of people. And still to this day, they're pretty low. There's been, um, a slight resurgence. Um, but not really like it's, it's really stayed low because I think a lot of businesses that were, some businesses are not able to operate still. Some businesses were, um, went bankrupt, they're out of business. And some businesses, they're probably just cost cutting now. They've been affected, so they're like, okay, we're not gonna invest into advertising at the moment, we're gonna be doing yeah. other things. Which means that, um, yeah, less businesses are advertising, but at least for the clients I'm working with, it's cheaper to advertise, which means you can get better results. And right. then, depending on the niche, depends on the effectiveness of the advertising. So for example, with real estate, that was the hardest hit for me, because people, I, most of the real estate clients were advertising uh, international real estate to people. So a lot of them like to fly to the country first to, to view it, or at least to meet at the regional office to buy. So like, for example, a lot in the United Arab Emirates, Thailand, Philippines, uh, the US, Japan, different places. And with travel being pretty much halted, a lot of people were like, yo, let's, let's check back in like uh, six months. So sales conversions really slowed down. Even the amount of leads were going up. People weren't converting on their sales. It's picking up again now because people are like, okay, coronavirus is going to be along, uh, around for a long time. So I'm just going to buy anyway because I'm not going to be able to visit it, but I'm just going to buy. Whereas before people were thinking, let's pause and I'll purchase in a couple months when I can still visit that place. But, right. but, but they can't. So, yeah. Um, so, 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 but, so, so that industry like went down, if you like, in terms of results, because the sales weren't happening as much. But then e commerce with certain niches, sales went up because people are chilling at home. They've got nothing to do. They're not spending their money on food and drink outside the house. They want to buy something cool, especially for like home improvement and like uh, furniture and anything that makes your house an awesome place. Yeah. That's been a great industry because people are now really, it's crazy. People are investing into their houses like never before because they can't go anywhere else pretty much. And even if you can, it's still more restricted than before. So, um, so yeah, kind of ups and downs. And then I'm still trying to remember your original question. So then, uh, oh, and the biggest thing I think is just like the fact that people will be working remotely more. So, so many companies have announced that, you know, it's going to be a lot more remote work. Um, 
And I think with the cost cutting also by a lot of companies means that there'll be more freelancers, more agencies that are able to provide services rather than these companies hiring full-time employees. Mm. Because, um, why would you hire a full-time employee? Let's say I'm a company in the UK. I could hire a full-time employee to run my marketing, right? But uh, especially with the fact that they may not be coming into the office, they may be working remotely. Why don't I just find a freelancer or a small agency that is going to be about the same amount of money, potentially even cheaper. Uh, They're not going to come into the office, but it doesn't make a difference because my employees can't come into the office anyway anymore. And then they, they're already a freelancer or agency. So they have experience in different niches and different with different companies. And therefore they're going to be able to provide more than maybe hiring an employee. That's probably going to be more cost efficient for me. Plus they're hired, they're hired as a contractor or an agency. Therefore it's not a long-term contract. There's no benefits to provide all that kind of thing. It can be, you can just hire them for a month. If it doesn't work out, you just move on to the next if it does work out that's great you know what i mean so i think there's going to be like way more flexibility way more people are going to be like um uh potentially way more people are going to be a bit more independent self-employed um i think um especially because you're seeing a lot of people now thinking damn i can't get a job or damn i've just lost my job and they're doing all sorts of things people selling I've seen everything. People selling like um, clothes for the gym, um, people selling food, making food in their homes and shipping it out to people, especially in the Philippines because people that lost their job or were no longer able to work or a lot of companies here were just asking their employees to work for free. (laughs) I didn't think it was even legal, but it is. Uh, I met this guy. He's an amazing cook and he works for a company. Tom, Tom uh, I shouldn't I shouldn't drop names to be honest but the company here anyway asked the, this their head chef from Spain to work for free and um, and he just said no so he's, he's selling his own food now he just makes his own food and sells it on Instagram and then people buy it and I just had his amazing lasagna today right I think there's going to be a lot a lot of that I've seen it already I think there's going to be a lot more people trying to be more independent not rely on their employers because of the way they feel they've been treated or just the fact that they can't get a job anymore, that kind of thing. They want to, they want to be a bit more independent and in control of their own circumstances. So that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm predicting will happen. Um, but I could be completely wrong. With the people in the companies though, that are doing fairly well during the pandemic, um, is there like a creative marketing aspect that goes into leveraging the fact that you're in quarantine and, uh, we are struggling with COVID that helps them sell whatever their product or services. Like, have you seen any good examples of that or have you created one? Um, so I would say the best way to do things is very subtle. So, you know, like traditionally big companies, they're like, okay, it's, for example, in America, it's the 4th of July coming up, um, which is, which just happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the 4th of July is uh, actually, this is embarrassing. What is it? It's American independence day, I guess. Uh, that sounds really bad coming from a British guy, but yeah. So (laughs) 
<laughs> of course you want to forget it. <laughs> yeah. That's true. No, but, um, but yeah, companies were doing their like sales and stuff, but I think more people are opening up to the fact that that is like pretty, um, like, what does it even mean? Like people are getting more logical now. They're not falling for marketing tricks. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, it's 4th of July. Yeah. You've got a sale. Yeah. I like your products. So I'll buy but it's not so there's no reason why there's a sale. There's no reason why there's something. And that's why with most of my marketing messages, I try to be like super, um, human to human speaking. I want to talk to you as if I'm a person trying to tell you about, I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm trying to tell you about something because, um, actually there's a lot of like psychology that goes into stuff and you can manipulate people but I'm not really in the business of trying to manipulate people. I want to work with companies that have great products and great services. And then I, um, I just present them. I I just, I run the ads, present the product or service in a cool way that makes a product or service look cool, but not misleading. And then people make the decision if they're going to buy or not. I hate the tactics of, you know, buy it because it's going to be sold out by Friday. Uh, we're running a sale because no reason, but we're just running a sales. So I, I hate that kind of stuff. So, so with, so with coronavirus, a lot of companies were saying we're, we're, we're trying to make a big deal about why their products is good during quarantine or whatever. But I think being subtle was the key. So there was this um, company that sells sofas and they said, they said their their copy said something like uh, I'm sure it's more elegant than this, but it was like it said since you're going to be spending more time on your sofa. Actually, it was even more subtle than that, but it was something like that. Since you're going to be more spending more time on your sofa, why not invest in a blah 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 sofa? I can't remember what the brand was. Um, mm. So that that kind of thing is cool, but if you're trying to like prove and explain to someone why they should buy during COVID. I don't think that message is that good because it's just like, you're trying to be relevant. People know what situation they're in. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be like, Oh yeah. You know, we're in lockdown. So I should get a new sofa. Right. I'm going to be thinking that already, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I don't particularly like jumping on trends and holidays and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. You should, you should just be human to human, talk about what your product or service does and then put it in front of the right people and then you'll get the results. So does that answer what you were asking? Yeah, yeah, it totally does. And it's cool to hear that too. Cause I mean, there's so many companies out there that will go towards the whole route of, you know, manipulation or neuro-linguistic programming or anything they can do to just put themselves in front of someone so that they think about them all the time or to try to convince them over their competitor. Um, and yeah, sure. That's effective, but, um, you know, maybe it's not always the best way to go about it. So it's cool hearing it from your perspective, the human to human approach on it. Um, well, I could give you one trend that's really interesting. So younger people, I would say, especially below 40, um, they react way better to the most genuine messages, but the older people, they will react, um, still quite well to messages that are a bit more manipulative, if you like, Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's not the right word, but they're, they're much more. Yeah. I think younger people are just more, much more clued up 
they don't want companies to speak to you as companies anymore. They want companies to speak to you as, as people and just talk mm. about things and just mention things and, and not be so like alien to, to, right. to you. That actually so many companies that come to me, they, they will just be using like the horrible, horrible classic marketing um, language. Like, do you feel like, do you feel like, do you feel like, oh, well, we have the product for you. It's like, yeah. oh my God, like younger people do not react to that whatsoever. Younger people want to see a video of someone unboxing a product and their genuine reaction or yeah. a video, a video that shows uh, someone just talking about why they use something or something like that. But I think the older people are still used to the classic TV marketing where it's such a, a show, such a, like a fake show, if you like. So they still react to that, but the younger people don't, don't really react to that anymore. And that's, mm. that's not being me being ageist. That's a trend I see in, in, in this advertising. It's not just in, uh, so. in, in consumer habits either. It's also in politics as well. I mean, if you look, you know, the people that voted in Trump and, even the UK government right now, I mean, it's a lot, they're, they're still very focused on uh, personality or charisma or whatever, you know, when you want to call it. But when you look at the, the, the data, it shows that younger people are more interested in the actual, you know, facts of what's going to happen, you know, when that person gets into power, what are they going to do? Like, are they are they legitimate that have the, are they credible? So yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just a generational divide, isn't it? And, um, I, I also dislike that. I'm a, I'm a almost, am I a millennial? I'm a millennial, I think. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> kind of like on the border. Uh, and, and I, and I don't like that. Um, I, I mean, I learned, uh, I don't know if you know these guys, but Je Jeff Walker, uh, Frank Kern, these mm. old school, long form sales page copywriting guys who obviously knew what they were doing and did it very well. Cause they're all living in freaking you know, uh, one of the most lucrative, uh, uh, luxurious places in, in the West coast. But, um, they, uh, they really extracted money from people's pockets and, and it wasn't fair in many cases. It was just genuine, you know, manipulation. Uh, and they taught that and I didn't really, I didn't really, I never liked it. I tried it many times. I did actually try it, but I, I could never pull it off because I was never geared that way. It's super interesting what you say, uh, you mentioned Frank Kern, and so he start he started like maybe a year ago, a partnership with Grant Cardone. Um, mm. Both, so I'm not I don't really know Frank Kern's uh, market now, but I believe that he doesn't have that much popularity now. Hence why no. he, that that's why he collaborated with Grant Cardone, who does have a much bigger popularity on social media, and Grant Cardone's audience is definitely on the side but there are a little bit older people and they started a partnership which was basically like a marketing agency and when i saw what they were selling they were almost like basically being direct competitor to me so running a marketing agency that's that's basically um well they were marketing it as whatever business you have we will help you to me i only work with businesses i think i can help but maybe it's the same with them but anyway the point was they were doing this collaboration to run your marketing and advertising, right? And then, yeah, like in March, pretty much as soon as coronavirus started getting a bit crazy, um, they shut down the whole project, laid off everyone, 
um, gave employees no no um, no benefits, no severance, all that kind of stuff, because they set them up with some horrible contracts that means they don't get that stuff. Basically, the whole project was a was like um, a massive flop, and I got the vibe that potentially it didn't work because I mean maybe they were really bad at delivering the services. But also, they were going down that traditional, more Frank Kern route of this like long sales copy, which I really think doesn't fly anymore with with um, with younger people. Long sales copy can work, but not in the way that you're talking about it. Um, right. So, so yeah, I don't know what happened, but you know, when when you think about everything and add it up, you think, yeah, it didn't yeah, happen, man. So. I mean, uh, in this case, like attracts like, I think, and that's a good thing because it means that you can pretty much guarantee if you, if you find the right people, you can always continue to find the right people because people are always looking for the like-minded individuals. And uh, I, used to, I used to really like Grant Cardone because he's, he is a charismatic individual and he ha- has had a lot of success. But there was, there came a point when I think, and I think it was watching a, and I'm kind of digressing from the actual topic of the conversation. But anyway, there was a time when I watched a podcast of him having a conversation with the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh my God. It's the worst one ever. It is, isn't it? It's very, it's very cringeworthy. I mean, it's hard to watch that. So, but when I did, I realized how much of a dick, you know, Cardone is. And, um, and it, and it just all of a sudden hit me how, how manipulative his, uh, his whole campaign is. And, you know, this is what and, I keep telling and he's, people. He's clueless. Like, yeah, exactly. But I don't he, know what it is, man. He's just very good at hard sales. He's just a really good guy at hard sales. And he'll fucking hammer you, you know, v- quite violently, aggressively into a corner where if you're not a millennial or, you know, someone who has some confidence, you may just buy. And if you do that enough, obviously you'll get enough money to... Yeah, know. well, I think, I think the problem is um, that he... Um, I think that most of his investors are... Uh, not, not, not clever. <laughs> I don't want to, want to, I didn't really want to say that, but they're just not as clued up about it as they should be. Right. So they've probably done well in whatever their career is. They got like 50 K or 20 K or 10 K to put into something. And then they see this guy online that talks about his amazing returns. Um, cause basically he's, the main way he makes money is people invest into his Cardone Capital, uh, which is which is a company that invests into property, and then and then they make money off the rental and then the yeah, appreciation of the properties. But uh, the minute coronavirus hit, he stopped paying out his investors, which is really bad because a lot of funds haven't done that at all. They kept paying their investors even if they're not collecting rent from certain units. So this oh, guy that keeps saying, "Oh, we know all the best units to invest into because people keep still pay keep paying rent even during coronavirus." is announcing to his investors, you're not going to get paid for the next few months, which yeah. is absolute insanity. Um, but it's in the contract that he can do that. But the problem is they've, that's why I think maybe they're not the most clever, some of these people, because they've signed these contracts off all this hype from him. And then they, they can't even get their um, returns, even when they're paying him a massive fee to manage everything. Mm-hmm. So Dude, exactly. Yeah. It's messed up. I mean, what you're saying though, it, it, it's, it's, it's actually very helpful for people who are listening because I've seen such a surge of advertisers, just regular everyday Joes like you and I, or Jane's, 
who are advertising on YouTube pre-rolls, you know, before the video or in Instagram feed, anywhere online. And, they're, and they are taking this approach of just promising the world or coming at it from an angle where you know they're trying to set you up for something and it's not very legitimate as far as you can see. Wait, so you've seen these people, because I've seen a massive rise in this recently. Yes. People saying that they're like, they're, they're like filming themselves on their phone. They're like, hey guys, so I used to be this like poor person yep. and then now I'm rich because I followed this system and it's so simple and you should follow mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Because so I've seen many. that here and it's insane. And yeah. it's, it gets annoying after a while. But yeah, that's, that's I, what you're I trying to say I mean, you're basically saying, you know, uh, it doesn't really work that well anymore. And it's clear it doesn't because like all of us here, and I'm sure so many other people, you know, are not going to buy into that and click through. And it's a waste of time and money for them to sponsor ads like that. No, I think they are working for some people. I think it's working a bit for some people. Yeah, I would agree with you there. But most of these people who I've seen the videos of recently, they're super duper amateur, right? And so I think there's someone or multiple people that are running this big, uh, potentially pyramid scheme or MLM or something. And they're mm-hmm. giving you, they're telling you exactly what you should say. They're going to say, stand in front of a nice house or stand in a, in a, in a country, in the country or by a beach and say that your life is amazing. And it's because you learned this one secret. So I, th- I think that's what's happening because I've seen the worst amateurs ever recording these videos, right? And I think they're being told, they're being given the, the script of what to do to get you to sign up through their link, which may make mm-hmm. them a little bit of money, but it's going to make the guy in charge a lot more money, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that's what I'm guessing. I, I haven't really even checked out these links, but these ads are yeah really getting on my nerves. But there's some sure that I feel like these people mm-hmm. are hoping it's all going to work. They're spending their ad, their dollars on these ads and then hoping people are going to sign up, even though it seems so amateur to people like us. But, but you yeah. know, the reason why some of these ads work, it's very similar to, to newsletters. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, struggle, um, that aren't necessarily happy with their life and they're looking for something and they'll come across one of these popular newsletters or they'll watch a video and that ad will pop up before the video in a pre-roll. Um, they're going to click on it because they're, they're curious and, you know, they're struggling. And I think there's a lot of people that just fall into that trap and they usually don't make money or they usually don't really have any life-changing experience um, because that's not really the point of the system that's being sold but um, they might learn something but that's about it I mean mostly these ads they are what's ad or newsletter which I think are very very similar in this circumstance Um, you know I think they just they target the people that are kind of downtrodden having a hard time yeah. Um, and then you get enough of those people in volume and they probably actually do pretty well, sadly. Yeah. Right. It's just like the spam industry, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember who it was, but I remember reading from one of those gurus we talked about earlier. I don't know if it was Frank or someone like him. And they were basically saying, make some spelling mistakes on purpose because it increases conversion. <laughs> I mean, it's that lame that you would go to that degree to actually like get more money in your pocket you would go and make some spelling mistakes because then the 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 idea was that it increases conversions because people feel like it came from a real person and not from some kind of machine or something Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, I've heard that before. I've never, I've never tested it because I work for legit clients. If you know what I mean, I'm not right. trying to appeal to the to the. Yeah. You know what I mean, but uh, I can imagine that works in that type of industry, right? Yeah. Any mistakes, but yeah. That's uh, and my favorite ads are always like the very simple direct ads. They're, they're like kind of dry and funny, but they really do work. Um, like, have you ever seen, a, you ever tried like an RX bar or do you know what that is? No idea. Or they have these bars in the U S and like on the packaging, it says like this bar has one egg, five cashews, like seven raisins, and then no bullshit. And that's it. That's what it says <laughs> on the package. And in the commercials that they do for the the bars, they have um, they have iced tea. Literally, they could walk out and be like, "This is literally it." buy it man and he walks out I, I, some of those ads are just really dry funny and direct and i think some of that stuff works too i don't know if it's maybe just you know the younger generation you know wanting something simple or genuine um you know there's a lot of playing on social issues nowadays too that a lot of companies use in advertising um i don't know i i, I think it's like, is there a generational issue from your opinion? Like, do you think just like it changes, like whether you're a, a baby boomer or a millennial or, or what's the next one? Gen Z. Like, do you think advertising like really kind of shifts? Um, I mean, yeah, the general trend is, is simply that the more real you are, the better results that's going to get with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think because the older people grew up with um, with TV advertising, which is generally very, you know, it's all a bit weird. It's honestly weird because I do advertising every day. And when I think of TV advertising, nearly everything is really, really, really weird. Because, um, yeah, imagine a perfume ad when they would, if they were just saying like, Put a spring in your stuff. Buy Coca-Cola today from many store. Yeah, I mean, it's so different, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but, I mean, because on TV, it's like kind of more branding. So it kind of makes you, I understand that there has to be a certain vibe you give off with your brand, which is fine. Um, I think in general, brands don't have to get, wait, I'm going to be careful what I say here. Uh, the majority of brands don't really need to get into social issues because they, they cut the majority. But the thing is, when you think of a brand, you think of Nike or whatever, who are absolutely global mammoths, right? They have the opportunity to get involved with social issues and make a massive change. You're not going to see them saying vote Trump or Biden, but you're going to see them, you know, standing up for black lives matter and stuff like that. Right. Smaller brands, uh, it, it's better just not to get involved in that stuff because I mean, I mean, it depends. It depends what, what the brand wants to do. I got an email from every single one of them about black lives matter. Well, that's also true. That's also true. But for example, there's a Facebook, there's a Facebook boycott at the moment, all these brands saying they're not going to advertise mm, or whatever. Mm. It's hilarious in my mind. Cause a lot a of real them, boycott is it? Uh, it's basically well i mean this is not a great month for advertisers in general especially the advertisers that have joined this boycott um i'm I'm completely forgetting the brands but a lot of them are like uh brands that make most of their money in the winter like uh, i think patagonia is one 
Uh, I could be wrong. If it's if it's not them, it's a, it's another brand like that, and they don't really sell many jackets in July, do they? Uh, but of course, they're going to resume advertising soon. So they're, all, they're all strategically, you know, making those decisions. Um, but it's generally best not to get into that stuff because if you just like sell something that doesn't really, it doesn't matter what political views your customer has if you're just selling shoes or whatever then um it's better not to get into arguments about that stuff right Mm. if you want the effectiveness right but if your brand really wants to stand up for something that's big for example i would say black lives matter is big then you have the opportunity to make a difference and some brands have accepted yeah i'm going to lose customers because the reality is a ton of people are still super duper racist. And if they see a brand standing up for Black Lives Matter, they will not want to buy anything from that brand again, which is super, super sad, but also some brands, they want to stand up for those reasons and whatever. But probably is a bad time for me to answer this question like this. But what I mean is in general, you don't want to go into those issues. But when there's such a big movement as Black Lives Matter, then yeah, maybe you want to stand up for the views that your company has, right? So yeah. that's kind of an anomaly, I guess. That, that's a whole other episode, bro. That's that we could. We, yeah. That's that's generally a like a three part episode of, yeah. uh, of just discussion about that. What what that's all about. But it seems to me like anyone who's listening to this has gotten a ton of practical advice on how they could you know, get themselves away from that nine to five and secure them, you know, if they've been fired, they could even, or, or made redundant, they could even just start their own business and start testing new things. So, you know, like you've, you've added so much value and, and I'm really grateful. I'm sure Brandon's super grateful too. I mean, Absolutely. What, what would people need to do to find you online and get in touch with you? Um, best way is probably just go to my Instagram which is at Tom James DJ and yeah, follow me. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm always DJ. on that. DJ. Tom James DJ, because I used ah. to DJ a lot. I don't anymore, but I, I don't really know what to change my username to. So actually what I want <laughs> I'm, to do. I'm James, not to DJ. Yeah, maybe that's a, that's a good idea. Actually. No longer DJ. <laughs> but I, I still have my DJ set. And what I wanted to do was live stream my DJ sets. But the problem is Instagram will take down those live streams um, because of copyrighted music. Copyrighted right? music. Yeah, fuck, man. Because Even if you put a remix on it, you know, just don't DJ. you have like a creative, um, don't you have like a creative right? It depends because basically if they recognize the lyrics, I play a lot of house music that has a lot of lyrics, right? Even if it's a remix, the break or like the verse, whatever, you're going to hear the lyrics and the Instagram live is probably going to think, oh yeah, it's this song and then copyright um, take Sounds that. Sounds like you switch to dubstep. Uh, well, yeah, I could I could play some like crazy weird stuff that doesn't really get taken down because apparently the the most um, popular songs are the worst to play, right? Which is fine for me because I don't play the most popular, but I also do play remixes of really popular songs, um, right. house remixes. So that's an issue. I've never tried it, but the point is, um, yeah. I wanted to do that, but it's probably not possible on Instagram. And if you're going to link someone to go to listen to you live on Mixcloud or something, then Mm -hmm. most people are not going to do that. Right. But if they're on Instagram, they would just easily watch an Instagram live. So, um, 
anyway, but you know, of all the places yeah. I've gotten away with that is actually Instagram. Um, a, a lot of artists, they'll let you play it as long as you don't run an ad and they'll have certain countries that it can and can't be seen in. And then they just won't worry about it. So Twitter. Is this for live streams or? Oh, for live stream? Well, I think for live streams, they're more strict because every time there's music yeah. in the background, when I do a live stream, it just kind of gets shut off. Um, yeah, because I was um, researching about it and it said like, um, Instagram is pretty cool with you, especially if you're just like, if you were at a concert and you record it live, even if the audio is really good, it's mm-hmm. kind of, it will let you post that. It'll let you put it on your story. It's completely happy with that stuff. But um, if you're repeatedly posting exact music videos, then maybe mm-hmm. it will take you down later a little bit. But their big problem is with live streams. So if it's a, even if it's a live event, like you're in the crowd somewhere, there's loads of people, yeah. It probably will never happen again because of coronavirus. But anyway, um, <laughs> you will get, uh, you could still get taken down because it's it's more likely that, yeah, you're going to get taken down like that. But anyway, um, I'll probably just try it. I just don't want to get my Instagram like blocked or completely taken down or something because that would be weird. Yeah. You should try TikTok, actually. You might be able to get away with it there. Um, they do have a live feature too. I'm not sure how that works compared to Instagram, but once you have a certain amount of followers, I think it's a thousand, then you can do live streams on TikTok. Yeah, but I don't have, I have like two followers on TikTok. So um, I need <laughs> to work. Cares. <laughs> I think Brandon's leading us by quite a margin. So we're going to have to pull it back. Wait, how many followers do you have? Brandon? A uh, hundred. 200, maybe at the most. That's pretty good for me. I mean, considering how difficult it is to grow a following. Your, 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 your best content was me film, filming you jumping <laughs> over an obstacle. <laughs> I, I can't remember what my best content was. It's really hard to go viral on TikTok, no matter how many times, you know, people tell you that there's like a strategy to doing it. Like they're very selective. Like yeah. the videos, they go viral are either super funny or it's of a hot girl. Every single time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I've been I'm trying to I've been trying to get into TikTok advertising also. Um mm-hmm. because before basically Facebook ads would run on TikTok, but now they also have their own self-serve ad platform. Yes. But um it's kind of a yeah, weird I guess, setup. I guess there's three problems with that. One Many brands um, that I work with, at least, they don't really want to get into TikTok yet. I'm only just able to push them into getting into Snapchat, which works quite well in the UK and the US for advertising, very cheap advertising. Uh, and then the second problem is, well, some brands are just against um, TikTok in general because it's like Chinese owned. And then the third problem is, um, well, the US may even ban TikTok as an app. So it's already been banned in Hong Kong. I think it's been banned in India. I'm like 99% sure it's it will been banned be. or will be soon. And then the US are talking about it very seriously. So yeah. I've oh, that's pretty much given up, up on that pitching to my clients at the moment because I, mm. yeah, I'm not sure of the future of that app at the moment. And people are like, oh, it's trying to. The funny thing is, and I'm not sure whether this is, and I don't want to like kind of drag things on, but I know that they've mentioned time and time again that they're not registered like, uh, what is it? Registered as a Chinese company or something along the lines of they're not involved with the Communist Party of China. Uh, they're like totally separate they they keep saying that over and over again yeah that's true but as a chinese company the 
Communist Party has certain abilities to demand information. So that's probably right. the main the main problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But but actually, someone did a deep dive on um. I can't remember what platform they re- released this on. I think they may have released it on Reddit, actually. They did a deep dive on um, what TikTok collects about you, uh, what information, and it's absolutely insane, worse than any other app. And I'm not one of these guys, I'm not one of these guys that's super anti-China or whatever, even though they give me a hard time. Well, I lived in China twice, right? And I always try to promote that country, but they give me a hard time trying to Especially what they're doing with Hong Kong. Hong Kong's my favorite city in Asia. And now, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Anyway, I don't want to get into politics, but sad stuff, sad stuff, man.